0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit CrossingParagold.com. Have you ever ignored a warning message, whether it be a sign, uh, you know, on the side of the road or a light on your dashboard or a symptom in your body or maybe a word of caution from a loved one? Have you ever ignored a warning message and then as a result maybe experienced pain in your life or created pain in the lives of others? I've shared before about my days as a college pastor and how I led a group of college students on a canoe trip And how there was a time where right before we went into the river, right when we were getting our canoes, the lady that we got the canoes from said to us, hey, last week somebody died on this river. And so when you get to this certain turn, there's a tree that's down. Be careful. Pull to the right side of the river so that way you don't get swept up in the current and hit the tree and get caught. And she was kind of trying to show us where it was. But because I failed to pay attention as she was talking, I made the exact mistake she told us not to make. Uh, My wife was in the canoe with me, another guy named Jeff, who couldn't even swim, fortunately he had a life jacket on, but we eventually come to this part in the river where we hit this tree that was down, it flips our canoe, we go into the water, we're hitting branches, I come back up, and my wife's like hanging on for dear life to one branch, this guy named Jeff who has his life jacket on, is just kind of like taking hostage downstream, right? The canoe has gone one way, I lost my glasses, I lost my cell phone, all this stuff apparently you're not supposed to take, and it was all the result because I didn't pay attention to the warning that I was given. And the reason I share that is because this morning as we come to Hebrews chapter 2, we are coming to what scholars refer to as a warning message. And it is a message I want you to know that is not here to punish us, though at times it may feel that way. It's not a message that's here to punish us, to, but to protect us. It's not here to lead us into shame. It's here to lead us into safety. If you look back in verse 1, the preacher says the following, we must pay pay attention pay attention in other words put the distractions away listen up open your ears open your heart we must pay the most careful attention and what does he say we're to pay attention to he says pay attention therefore to what we have heard so that we do not drift away now anytime you see the word therefore you're always to ask the question what what is it there for and in this case, what he's saying is, therefore, in light of everything that I just said in chapter 1, if you were with us last week, you remember that, that this preacher, he starts a sermon in the first three verses. All he is doing is trying to point you and me to the beauty and the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus. He, he's saying that Jesus, more than just being a good prophet or a good man or a good person, that, that he is divine, that he is a son of God. That he is the one who made all things and sustains all things. He's the ruler and he's the reigner. He is the one who through his life, death and resurrection has provided a way for us now when we trust in him to stand before God holy and blameless and accepted. He is the inheritor, as we talked about last week. He's the creator, the sustainer, the radiator, the, the representer. He's the purifier, the one who, who lived a perfect sinless life we could not live. And he shed his blood on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that now we can be forgiven, so we can be redeemed. We can be accepted before God for all time. This is what he says, all just in, in three verses, and then we won't look at it together today, but in verse 4 through 14, he, he's talking to a group of people who, who love angels, who worship angels, and his whole point is that Jesus, as great as you think angels are, Jesus is even greater. Uh, to you, I know that may not be a big deal. Like You're like, I watched Touched by an Angel in the 90s, wasn't impressed with the angels, right? Mom loved it, maybe, but I didn't love it. Um, but you got to understand, these people worshipped angels, They thought angels were like it. And listen, angels are incredible by the way. We don't probably give them enough. Credit. I mean, uh, they're a pretty majestic creature, so much so that when people usually see them, they're terrified by how, how beautiful they are, how majestic and powerful they are. We know that angels fight on behalf of God at times. They deliver messages from God. Angels are the ones that announce the birth of Jesus. They're the ones who minister to Jesus in the wilderness and at the Garden of Gethsemane. Angels are the ones that rolled the stone away at Jesus' resurrection. So angels really are incredible. Angels are great, but his point is, in, in chapters 1, for verse 4 through 14 is, yeah, angels are great, but Jesus is greater. Like angels are glorious, but Jesus is far more glorious. This is why throughout the scriptures, angels worship Jesus because they know that he is bigger and he is better than we can ever fathom. He is, they are constantly pointing to Jesus. And therefore, in light of that, the preacher says in chapter 2, verse 1, pay the most careful attention to Jesus Pay attention to this gospel message. Pay attention, careful attention to who God is and what he has done for you in Christ so that what? So that you do not drift away. This word drift, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means to be carried away slowly without effort or aim. It means to move from one location to another passively or involuntarily. So when you think of the word drift, think of the word apathy. Apathy think of complacency. Think of of someone who has become so flippant in their faith that there is no longer any fighting, there's no longer any struggle, there's no longer any effort. Instead, they're just kind of getting swept up in this cultural current and just spiritually speaking are beginning to drift further and further away from the way of Jesus. You know, when I think about this passage, I think about these two triangles that we put on the screen many times before, but it's our unintentional spiritual formation paradigm and the intentional spiritual formation paradigm, which was made popular by Dallas Willard. And in the unintentional, which you see on the left side of the screen, uh, the whole point is uh, whether you think you are or not, you are being shaped, you are being formed every single minute of every single day. All you have to do is wake up and you're going to be shaped by the stories you believe. at the top of the triangle. The stories you believe about sex or finances or relationships or or money. You're going to be shaped by the stories you believe, by the habits that are in your life, by your relationships and your environment. And the goal of the Christian is to counter all that unintentional stuff with, with intentional spiritual formation. It's to counter the stories you believe with the truth from the gospel. It's to let what God says be the thing that directs your life and shapes your life. It's to counter those bad habits with healthy practices from the life and teaching of Jesus. It's to counter maybe some unhealthy relationships with, with the community, with brothers and sisters who are following Jesus together. And then it's to learn how to, to walk daily in the power and in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And you see what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is, my fear is that there are some of you who are living more on the left side than the right side. What he's saying is, my fear is, some of you, you're not being intentional in your pursuit of Jesus. He's saying, my fear is that you're becoming apathetic, that you're becoming lazy in your discipleship, and therefore, as a result, if you're not careful, he says, you are going to drift away from Jesus, and therefore, from the life you were created to experience. And what I submit to you this morning is that if this was a concern for the first century church, it should absolutely be a concern for you and me today. In verses 3 and verse 4, we see the preacher says, these are a people, this is a church who has not only heard the good news about Jesus, they actually know people who walked with Jesus who themselves have testified to his power, who have testified to his resurrection. Not only that, they've seen the signs and wonders. Some of you have just heard about signs and wonders. These people have seen signs and wonders and miracles. And like you have, if you've trusted Christ, they've received the Holy Spirit and gifts that testify to the fact Jesus is alive. And so what I just want you to understand today is that that if drifting was a temptation for this church, drifting is a temptation for our church. Like, drifting is 100% a temptation for you and is a temptation for me. I just finished a book uh, last week called Overcoming Apathy. Uh, it's a book I highly recommend. Uh, it's written by a guy, I think his name is, is, I guess you pronounce it, Uche Anizer. I guess if you say it with confidence, people think you know how to say it, so I'll just say Uche Anizer. And he talks about growing up in the 90s and watching shows like Seinfeld. Uh, which is considered by many to be the greatest show of all time. I think it had like 30 million viewers weekly when it was at its height. In its season finale, it had 76 million viewers. And according to Jerry Shein- Seinfeld himself, the show Seinfeld was a show about nothing. He said, "quote It was a show." Or he said, "It was a show that normalized an indifference towards big and meaningful things." In other words, it was a show that made the insignificant look significant, and it made the significant seem insignificant. And what Anizer points out in his book is by doing this, he said Seinfeld, along with shows like The Simpsons, Married with Children, and Friends, they actually made it fashionable to not care about anything. For the first time ever, like these shows, along with, I would even say like music, like from bands like Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and Green Day, they created a culture where for the first time ever, apathy was not only accepted, but it was actually applauded. Like it was actually began to be worn as a badge of honor. Like it was cool to not care. And here's the thing, like though apathy is now, I think, accepted by our mainstream culture, what we see in the scriptures is that apathy is actually an enemy to the soul. Like it's actually something that if you leave it unchecked and unabated will cause you to drift and to miss out on the life that you were created to experience. Dorothy Sayers says it like this. She says the sin of apathy or the sin of drifting, it is a sin. It believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, finds purpose in nothing. It lives for nothing and only remains alive because there's nothing that it would die for. In short, to be spiritually apathetic is to be purposeless. It's to be aimless. It's to kind of be indifferent. It's to go with the flow. And in the end, it causes you to miss out on the life God created you to experience. And it's so important that you hear this today. Because the reality is, guys, one day you are going to die. Like one day, you really will draw your last breath on earth, whether it be minutes from now, months from now, years from now. You are going to die, and you are going to spend a real place, or you're going to spend eternity in a real place the Bible says heaven or a real place the Bible calls hell. And I know we don't like to talk about hell anymore in our culture. But the truth is, according to Jesus and the writers of the New Testament, you are going to spend an eternity somewhere for a very long time. And depending on, or basically, if you want to know like, where you're going to spend eternity, like, all of that hinges on what you decide to do with Jesus. Like All that depends on, like, are you going to pay attention to Jesus? Are you going to keep looking to Jesus and listening to Jesus and allowing yourself to be loved and led by Jesus? With that in mind, I just want to ask you this morning before we go any further. Like, what has your attention right now? like where is your mind where is your attention throughout the week like what consumes your thoughts is it your kids is it your money is it your time is it events in the world is it is it achievements is it the approval of others is it netflix is it social media is it pleasure is it success as good as all of that is none of that secures your eternity as good as all that is, none of that ultimately is what gets you into heaven. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is don't get distracted. Don't lose your focus. Pay the most careful attention, he says, to Jesus, lest you drift into destruction. And in verse 2, if you look with me, he says, For since the message spoken through angels, and he's talking there about the Mosaic Law, that's what the angels delivered in the Old Testament. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received as just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? He's saying, listen, the message delivered by the angels whom you guys love and worship, you know it was a big deal. It was such a big deal that when people didn't listen to it, they were punished. And you can read about this in the Old Testament. Some of them were stoned to death because they neglected the 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 message delivered by angels. Uh, There was a time where because they neglected this message in the Old Testament, God raised up these snakes that bit the Israelites and 23,000 people died. Like that's what he's referring to when he's talking about the punishment that came as a result of ignoring this message. And what the preacher is saying to these people is, look, if you think it went bad for people who neglected the message delivered by angels, how do you think it's going to go for you if you neglect this message delivered by Jesus Christ? How is it going to go for you if you neglect, if you ignore so great a salvation? And what is implied here, and certainly throughout the New Testament, is is the people in the Old Testament, when they neglected the message delivered by the angels, they experienced a physical death. But what he's trying to say here is if you neglect the message delivered by Jesus, you won't just experience a physical death. You will, in fact, experience a spiritual death. You will miss out on life. Deep life, full life, abundant life, eternal life. And therefore, like, listen to the urgency in this message. Pay attention. Don't get distracted. Don't get flippant. Don't become apathetic. Don't compromise in your faith. Be intentional. Fight sin. Continue to seek first Jesus and his kingdom, lest you slowly but surely drift away into destruction. And if you were listening to this message and you're like, geez, Jared, like, like should I be scared? I think so. I think so. I, I think, like, you and I should have a little fear that rises up in us when we hear something like this. And not a fear that, that, that like, drives us away from Jesus, but a fear that drives us to Jesus. You know, my, um, my daughter earlier this week, uh, I, I was in, in the bedroom with my wife, and also we heard this blood-curling scream come from Nora. And immediately she began to say, Mom, Mom, Mom. She had saw a bug, by the way. And so uh, she's freaked out by bugs. She's in this major threat. And in this moment, because of her fear, what did she do? She cried out to someone who she thought would be there to protect her. Someone that she could rely on. And I think, like, in many ways, like, that's what this should do. It should create a healthy fear in us that drives us to our need for Jesus, to cry out to Jesus, to run to Jesus. I'm going to say something that's, that's maybe really difficult for some of you today. And I hope you understand. I promise you, like, I'm trying to say this out of love. Like, some of you, you're so flippant in your faith. And I think it's because you have believed a lie that goes like this. Once saved, always saved. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Once saved, always saved. When we say that in the church or in the culture, a lot of times what we mean is this. As long as I prayed this prayer when I was a kid, I can live however I want to live, and I can still go to heaven when I die. And the reason that we believe things like that is because there's verses like in Romans chapter 10 where Paul says... Um, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we say, see, there it is. If I just with my mouth say Jesus is Lord, I will be saved. And what you don't realize is that to confess Jesus as Lord in this culture was literally to say, I'm willing to die for Jesus. It was to say, Jesus, I give you not just my mouth, and I don't just give you my heart. Like I give you my entire life, past, present, and future. My schedule, my money, my relationships, my comfort, everything. And so the Bible, you will never read in the Bible that there's some sort of magic formula prayer that you can pray that somehow gets you a ticket to get you out of hell. Like, to confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life is to make an all-of-life commitment. It's to say that, Jesus, I'm not just going to treat you as an accessory. I'm going to treat you as Lord. I'm going to bring everything under you. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the righteous live by faith. He doesn't say the righteous are those who once had faith in Jesus back in the day at church camp. He's saying, like, like, the righteous are those who continue to put their faith in Christ now. They continue to follow Jesus now. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say in in chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, and we'll get to this in a few weeks, he says, You must warn each other every day. There's another warning coming. You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin or hardened against God. For if we are, listen to this, if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, then we will share in all that belongs to Christ. And so with that said, I just want to ask you, listen, the question this morning is not, did you pay attention to Jesus when you were in college? The question is not, did you pay attention to Jesus at youth camp? The question is like, are you paying paying attention to Jesus right now? Are you listening to Jesus right now? Are you trusting Jesus right now? Are you following and seeking to obey Jesus right now? Dr. Sam Storms is going to spend some time with us the week after Easter. We're going to do a Holy Spirit conference that he's going to lead. And he says this, perseverance is the proof of your salvation. Perseverance is the proof of your salvation. If you drift away from Jesus, it's not that you lost your salvation. It's just that you never really had it. It, it, it's, It's, you see, maybe you had like spiritual goosebumps. Like maybe you had some sort of like emotional high. But if you have received the Spirit of God, you will persevere until the end. Like if you're here and you're like, how do I know if I've received the Spirit? Like how do I know if I'm a true Christian? How do I know if I've actually truly been saved? Here's the answer. You won't drift away. You won't fall away. Like you're going to have some dry seasons. But you know what? Even in those dry seasons, you know how you want to know if it's the difference between a dry season and drifting. If it's a dry season, you have the Spirit of God, you're not going to be happy that you're in a dry season. You're not going to be content with being in a dry season. Like, if you're not feeling the presence of God in your life, that if the love is not quite there, like, you're going to be like, man, I want to do whatever I can to continue to press forward and experience God's presence in my life. But drifting's not like that. Drifting doesn't really care. Drifting feels like carrying a message like this and still being ho hum. Uh, Paul says, this in Philippians 1 6 he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion if Jesus Christ has started a work in you you can have assurance he's going to complete that work you might look like this which means some dips and valleys but he's going to keep moving you forward he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion then listen to this chapter 3 verse 12 therefore continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling that's the word of God continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. So some of you are like, wait a minute, like, so whose work is this? Who's the one that keeps me from drifting? Is God the one that keeps me from drifting or am I the one that keeps me from drifting? Yes. You have a work to do and God has a work to do. In the words of the great church theologian, Augustine, without God we can't, but without us he won't. And if you're like, well, that doesn't sound like grace. Well, then I would say you just don't have a great understanding of grace. As Dallas Willard once put it, grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. I want to be very clear. like Grace is opposed to earning. The Bible is clear. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can't earn salvation. You cannot deserve salvation. But here's the thing. If you have received grace, grace works. Grace propels you forward. Grace moves you in the right direction. And not because you're trying to earn God's love, but because you have already received that love. And so to that end, I just want to ask you this one again, like, are you paying attention? Are you still trusting Jesus? Are you still listening to Jesus? Are you still following Jesus? Are you still seeking to obey Jesus? You know, one of the most convicting things to me in this passage this week is this word ignore in verse 3. Do you see that? Where he says, how shall we escape if we ignore? I like the ESV translation better. Or we, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You know why that's so haunting to me? The preacher is not talking to people who reject Jesus. He's talking to people who neglect Jesus. He's not talking to people that are like, I don't even believe Jesus exists. He's talking to the church. He's talking to people who show up on a Sunday and sing and maybe raise their hands and give some money. And yet Monday through Saturday, Jesus is nothing more than an afterthought. That's who he's talking to about drifting you know, as I was thinking about this passage this week, I was thinking about the first year that my wife and I began to garden, and we were so excited about it. We were married, and and I read these books and watched these videos. We're like, oh, we're going to garden. And so we tilled the ground, and we bought the seeds, and even brought my grandma all over to show me some of the, like, the tricks of the trade and all that. And it went really, 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 really good for about three weeks. And then it got hard, and then it got hot, and then there were bugs, and then there were weeds. And before I knew it, I was like, man, I just think I'm going to skip today. And one day it became two days, which became three days and four days. And eventually I went out there and the weeds had literally choked the life out of the garden. And that's an image of what he's talking about here. Do not neglect so great a salvation. Don't hit cruise control, guys. Even if everybody else is around you, don't neglect this. Don't ignore this warning. Pay attention to this great salvation. He says, lest you drift. Drifting, please hear me always leads to drowning drifting it's so effortless and it's so easy but drifting leads us to destruction and so the question is this morning is what do we do maybe some of you are drifting right now some of you are apathetic right now some of you are compromising right now so what do we do some of you are not paying attention you're not paying attention to jesus what what do we do in light of this what is the response and as we end, I just want to read Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, if you want, you can turn there with me. Revelation 2, starting in verse 4, Jesus is talking here to a church that looks really impressive on the outside, a church that we would want to be a part of, a church that we'd be like, I want my kids to be in that kind of kids' ministry. I want to send to that kind of teaching. I want to be involved in that kind of ministry. looks really good on the outside, but here's what Jesus says. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. You've done all this great stuff, but I hold this against you. He says, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. Maybe this is where some of you are this morning. The passions begin to wane. There's no fire anymore. There's no romance. There's no excitement when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. And I just want you to know, like, if that's where you are, if you've been drifting, please hear me. Here's an encouraging word for you this morning. No matter how far you have drifted, you have not drifted beyond the love of Christ. Jesus still loves you. Jesus is still pursuing you. He still desires to have a relationship with you. And you're like, how do we know? Because look at what he says next. Rather than just letting you drift and being like, hey, you're left on your own. He comes and he says this. Therefore, verse 5, consider how far you have fallen. Remember how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. You see what he's doing? He's providing a way for you back no matter how far you've drifted. There's a way back home. He says, remember how far you have fallen. He says, man, just take a moment and remember how sweet it was whenever we first entered into this relationship together. Remember the passion. Remember the excitement. Remember the joy of your salvation. And then he says, repent. Like, stop chasing after these lifeless idols. Stop clinging to these things that are never going to make you happy. Repent. And then he says, return. Do the things you did in the beginning when I first broke into your life. In other words, do the things that help keep you anchored in the love of Christ. Look back at those moments in your life, guys, whenever you were excited about Jesus. Look back in those moments where it's like, man, I feel close to Jesus. Look back to those moments where you're like, man, I'm on fire for Jesus, those moments where it's like, 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 man, like, look back to those moments and he says, Whatever you were doing then, do it again. Was it praying? Was it reading scripture? Was it being involved in the DNA? Was it plugging into healthy community? Was it going to bed a little earlier so that you can wake up earlier? Was it taking walks in nature? Like, whatever it was, look back and wherever the last time was that you can remember, like, yes, like, that's the way it feels. Yes, I'm excited about Jesus. Yes, I'm walking intimately with Jesus. Like, go back and do the things that you did then, no matter what you have to sacrifice in order to get there. And here's the promise he leads with us in verse 7. Of Revelation 2, whoever has ears, let them hear. So pay attention, he's saying again. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In other words, if you will do what I'm saying, you will one day finally and fully experience everything that you have been longing for paradise belongs to those who persevere, who continue to pay attention and pursue the Savior and the satisfier of our soul. With that, I want to invite the band to come forward. And as they do, I want to put a picture on the screen for you. Um, Did I send a picture? Yeah, there's my son, Moses, who just got his hair cut yesterday, by the way, and is not happy about it. Um, So I don't know about you, but for me, this message has been really convicting because there are things that I know that at times I cling to. Things that I pay attention to. Things that I feel like that I need more than I need Jesus himself. And this past week, I was about to walk out the door. And Megan said, Moses, are you going to give your dad a hug? And these stuffed animals that you see with him, he literally carries them around all the time i don't know why uh none of our other kids did this but like he could be riding his bike and he's got these under his arm he can be outside playing in the dirt and he's got these under the arm he can be eating dinner and he's got these underneath his arm just clinging to these things and so she says moses you're gonna give your dad a hug and i'm standing at the door and i'm doing this and he comes and he does this to me and when he does those stuffed animals fall And immediately the Lord said to me, these things you've been clinging to, I'm not going to rip them out of your arms. I'm not even going to ask you to go throw them in the trash. All I'm going to ask is you to know that I'm loving you and know that the way that you're going to release these things that you really don't even need, that you think you need to be happy, these lifeless things that you're clinging to, the way you're going to begin to drop those things is by extending your arms back out to me to know that my arms are wide open, to know that I am p- constantly pursuing you, that I'm loving you. And I think the invitation today, more than anything, guys, more than it's trying harder to be better, okay, like, yeah, I'm going to kill that sin, or yeah, I'm going to get rid of that thing, or yeah, I'm going to live more generous, I'm going to have an open-ended life, I'm going to pursue, life, like, like the key to all of this is you will never love God until you first see God loving you. And so what I hope is we're about to sing The next couple songs enter into a time of communion. My prayer is just this. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm just going to pray this over you in this moment. That Father, you would help us to see you with arms stretched out. Not arms to try to crush us. Not pointing a finger in our face to try to condemn us. But that your arms are stretched out. That you are seeking to love us. And I pray that that we would in this moment extend our arms back to you. That we would, in response, praise you. That we would love you. That we would embrace you. I pray that, that, Holy Spirit, that you would do this in a way that truly is for our good. And is for your glory. It's in Christ's name that I ask these things. Amen.